Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast on the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Danny Heifetz and I am joined as always by my co-host and my co-Danny, the hero we need and the analyst we deserve, the Dark Knight himself, Danny Kelly. How are you doing, DK? I'm doing excellent, man. I'm really excited about the combine this week. NFL draft season is kicking off hardcore. And so, yeah, I'm just really, really excited about digging into all these guys. What are you? How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, but this is your time to shine, dude. You got the NFL draft <laughs> guide on theringer.com. You're, you're doing everything. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving this. I love this time of year, man. It's just really, really fun to finally get to dedicate almost all my energy to this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. DK the draft killer, and then we've also got we got Craig here. Craig, you're a huge draft head, right? I'm. A, I, this is really just my podcast. I would say today, I'm really going to take the reins. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Danny Kelly knows so much more than me about the draft. He's going to be our our tutor, our sage, our teacher today. Sage, <laughs> sage is a good word. Yeah, I like that. DK the draft sage. Yeah, we're going to preview the combine with a fantasy lens. We're going to run through the guys who could gain a lot of buzz through the combine, boost their stock, all you know, all that jazz. There's athletic testing, but also maybe it's Alabama and Tua Tagovailoa. There's, you know, medical stuff that people are going to learn this week. We're going to um, learn a thing or two in this Exactly. Spot. Hopefully not too yeah. much because it is, you know, private medical information sure. that we're not really entitled to. But <laughs> just the Goldilocks amount of information is what we want. That's what we're looking for. Uh, first of all, shameless plug, NFLDraft.TheRinger.com. Amazing product. Yeah. Check it out on your phone. Beautifully designed. We are extremely proud of what this thing looks like because yes. DK is the, the god. But NFLDraft.TheRinger.com, the best draft guide there is. And then, yeah, so this is about the combine-specific lens. So this isn't exactly like we're not exactly previewing everyone in the draft. So like Joe Burrow, C.D. Lamb, certain guys, we're not going to be talking about them, right, DK? We're going to talk about the guys who are going to make waves at the combine this week. Right. I mean, so like Burrow is the number one pick. That's not going to change unless we do find out something this week that he's going to, you know, like pull an Eli Manning and just refuse to go to to Cincinnati, which I guess is possible, but that really won't be what we're concentrating on today. It's going to be more like guys that can like raise their stock, lower their stock, um, things like that. So yeah, like the guy, one of the biggest storylines of the whole week is going to be what happens with Tua Tungavailoa. And by the way, I think a lot of people say that incorrectly. You know, I just actually was watching a video where he says it's Tungavailoa, not Tagavailoa. We're learning. Um, something that something to keep in mind this week as we all start to learn how to say his name. Um, anyways, his combine is important. He's not going to actually even be taking part in any of the the on field testing and things like that. His it, for him, it's more important the doing the medical, seeing how his injured hip is healing. There was a report a couple weeks back that said his hip had been fully healed, and so like his his rehab was just starting to get underway. Every team is going to go in and do medical tests and stuff like that, and that informs like how high he will end up going. I still think he's going to be a top 10 pick, top five pick. Um, but a lot of that kind of comes down to how these tests go this week. And Obviously so, he broke his hip in November uh, against Mississippi state, which ended his season Tua did. And yeah. Also for the record, I'm going to be saying Tua the whole draft process. Yeah. Because I was certainly wrong about his last name. So I'm just going to roll with Tua. I highly recommend just calling him Tua. Yeah, it's his mononym. It's kind of like Cher or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Ichiro. Prince. Ichiro, yeah, there's a good one. So that's what I'm going to be doing too. I want to quote a wonderful piece that our own Roger Sherman of The Ringer wrote on, when Tua, um, actually when he, his injury happened. Quoting from our boy Roger, Tua had a passer efficiency rating, which is the NFL version or the college football version of passer rating, 
Two had a passer efficiency rating of 199.5. Before 2019, no player even had a rating of 200 for a season. And Tango Vailoa nearly hit that for a career. <laughs> Two averaged 10.9 yards per attempt, a full yard better than the previous career record of 9.9. And Tua threw touchdowns on 12.7% of his passing attempts. The old record was set by Sam Bradford was 9.9. Which yeah. means Tua was 30% more likely to throw a touchdown on a given throw than any other player in the history of college football. You could say he's pretty efficient as a passer. <laughs> yeah, he is unquestionably a very, very exciting, awesome passer. Uh, but obviously the question mark is, you know, his health and going forward. And it's not just the hip thing because he's had a couple pretty serious ankle, high ankle sprain injuries where he had to get this thing called a tightrope procedure on both ankles, in fact. So, yeah, the health thing is a big question mark. And that's actually a big, big part of the combine. That I think a lot of people, it's not, it's not nearly as... Um, you know, interesting and, and made for TV, but a lot of the reason they do the combine in general is to have all the players in one place so they can all do these medical checks in, in one spot instead of flying around to 300 different players and doing testing, like, you know, all that stuff. And so that's a big, big reason why they even have the combine in general. Yeah, we kind of look at it like this. There's the athletic testing, and then there's, like, we hear about the interviews from the weird questions they get asked, and then, like, hear vague stuff about the medicals. But that's completely yeah. looking at it from the outside in and from the inside out. It's all about the medicals and looking at these guys first, like actually examining them with their own two doctors. Then they interviews because they want to talk to them like a job interview. And then also the testing. So, Dika, how, yeah. how imp- as we go through all this, how important is the actual athletic testing? The, to me, the athletic testing is honestly just a it's so, sort of a pass fail proposition. It, it It's a double check your grade type thing so like if a player goes in and runs in the acceptable range for your position group or your size or whatever people like the teams are just not going to care like they just won't have to go back to the tape that that confirmed what they saw on the tape if guys come in and run way slower then that make that that might make them go back and be like okay did i not see that on tape or is do we need to downgrade this guy just because he has Bottom line is not a good enough athlete to play in the NFL type of thing. But maybe it's like he didn't prepare enough, or maybe it's just he has right. this, an injury, so it's okay. But adding context to what they saw. Yeah, and then on the other hand, like you can see some guys who are maybe flying under the radar, pick up steam coming out of the combine because they're just so freakishly athletic. Then you can see coaches be like, oh, I could do some things with this guy because he is an absolute elite athlete. We can coach certain things into him. So you'll see guys rise you know, obviously a lot of it is just media driven on terms of like hype and everything, but like you'll see guys rise from obscurity to, you know, much, much higher. You'll see even well-known names go up um, if they have like really elite numbers and certain things. So yeah, it's it's for the vast, vast majority, like 90% of the players at the combine, it's just like pass fail. Like, did you get within an acceptable range for the other guys? It's, there is definitely a chance to raise or sink your stock. So DK, Guys like Tua are a little bit, like we said, along with Burrow, are a little bit immune to like what happens to the combine because they've had such strong careers in college. Guys on your list here, the other two guys you have here are Jalen Hurts and Jordan Love uh, for Oklahoma and Utah State, respectively. What metrics for the quarterback position do you think is the most important for both of those guys at the combine that teams will be looking at? So for both of these guys, again, the testing is not that important. A lot of it is going to be sort of how they do in interviews and stuff like that because going into the Combine, they're going to test you on like the chalkboard and, or I guess it's the whiteboard nowadays, but they're going to test you on schemes. They're going to test you on how you read defense defenses. They're going to watch how you lead. Things like that are important. Um, for Hertz and Love in particular, I think both of those guys kind of fit the 
future prototype of how teams are going to start looking at quarterbacks. Because I think right now in the NFL, and we've seen it over the years building, it's the defensive ends and defensive linemen are so much more athletic than offensive linemen these days that it's just become so much more difficult to block really, really highly athletic defensive linemen. And so in that, what that means is a lot of quarterbacks these days, and I think there's certain teams in the NFL that are starting to buy this, that quarterbacks have to be able to move. They have to be able to improvise, escape, throw on the run, things like that. Whereas like the old prototype of a pocket passer is slowly not necessarily dying, but like you have to have elite, elite processing skills to be that guy in the NFL these days. And so I think for Hertz and Love, both of those guys, I think it would be helpful for them to test well in the athletic portions, the agility, the speed, like the 40. So like for, for Hertz, he ran, I think like a four, four, eight back in 2017 in spring testing at Alabama. So if he runs in the four fours, I think that could honestly boost his stock a lot. He's probably more likely to run somewhere in the four fives, four sixes, which is still really, really good. Like keep in mind, Russell Wilson, who was a really, really good option quarterback early in his career, he ran a four five five. So like Russell Wilson's speed for Hertz, I think would be really, really beneficial for him because then teams would be, you know, some team, maybe like one or two teams in the NFL would look at it and be like, we could design an offense around this guy. And we could design an offense that has him being a part of the run game. Not He's not like Lamar Jackson, that electric kind of athlete, but he is a tough, rugged runner who could add to the run game. I mean, he scored, you know, just tons. I think he scored 20 touchdowns on the ground this season for Oklahoma. So he's, he's a good rusher. He had over 1,000 yards rushing. So I think that's going to be key for Hertz in addition to all the other things. Like he has to pass a lot of different tests this week to to boost his stock. But I think that'll be helpful for him. And the same deal with Jordan Love, who's I think already kind of one of the combine winners. He measured out at six foot four, 224 pounds. He has big 10 and a half inch hands. So like prototype size. And he's the biggest traits based prospect in this draft potentially because we have to do a quick tangent right now. So yeah, Joe Burrow has the smallest hands in, I don't know, three <laughs> centuries or whatever it is. <laughs> right, you just mentioned right. 10 and a half inch hands. How much does the hand, what does the hand size mean? Please, please explain. The question, you're asking me. I'm asking you how much hand size yeah. means for quarterbacks. And I would tell you that it doesn't matter a lot. Like, it, 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 where it does matter is fumbles. Guys with smaller hands are more prone to fumbling, generally speaking. There's statistical correlations to that. But you would have to ask the individual teams, because I know that there's a lot of probably old school scouts out there that are like, if you have small hands, you can't throw in the rain. You know what I mean? You can't grip the ball in the wind. And, and things like that, like old school sort of football scouting. So it really depends. I was just confused because you said Jordan Love winner of the combine, but he six foot four, two twenty four. But he's listed at Utah State as six four, two twenty five. So it's just the the big hands. It's like great for Jordan Love. Well, number one, a lot of guys come in much smaller than their listed weight. Like listed weight is like you step on the scale and and you add an inch kind of thing. You know what I mean? So coming in at what he was listed at is actually a win. Yeah, and. The hand thing, I think, like I was saying, it's probably a win for some teams who are sort of in the old school scouting thing where it's like a big deal to have a big mitts and, and you know, be able to go in there and grip the ball in the heat, in the in the sweltering humidity, humidity and whatever. It's like, it's it's very subjective, but some teams, it, it does matter. I also just have an issue with the word mitts because obviously you wouldn't throw a football with mitts, you would do it with gloves. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, It'd be tough to throw a spiral. Do you guys know that I, I used to think growing up that the college football was smaller than the pro football? When you Google it, it just says that NCAA footballs can be slightly smaller than NFL footballs. That's it. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> can be smaller? Are you they ever heard or are of they Deflate not? Gate? 
It's just depending on the, the air pressure of the football, the temperature. Science. Didn't you always hear that the NFL football was bigger than the college football? I always thought that. I think that was my general impression, yeah. It says here that generally no, but they can be, I guess, a little yeah. bit smaller. Interesting. It's all relative. It's all relative. All right, so in terms of landing spots for quarterbacks, Hurts and Jordan Love are obviously going to be like way later in the draft, but the top 10 guys, like you've got Burrow, Probably number one of the Bengals, but we don't know that. Maybe he does the Eli Manning thing. And then we've got Tua, and then we've got Justin Herbert from Oregon. And we've got this interesting thing where the Bengals are first, Washington's second. They're probably not ditching Haskins. The Lions, maybe they they ditch Stafford, but if not, then they're maybe a lot of teams going to trade up. The Giants, who are still in love with Daniel Jones. But then you've got the Dolphins at five need a quarterback. Chargers mm-hmm. at six need a quarterback. Panthers at seven need a quarterback if they get rid of Cam. Cardinals are in love with Kyler Murray at eight. Jaguars at nine. I mean, you're probably taking a quarterback. No disrespect to Foles and Minshew, but like, mm-hmm. if one of those guys is around, they would do it. The Browns are happy at 10. Jets are happy at 11. And then the Raiders at 12 are probably very much like in the mix. It's possible. And then the Colts, even at 13, I don't think it's you can count them out. Like They're yeah. definitely like not satisfied with just Jacoby Brissett. So you, that's a lot of teams in the top 13. And the, the Colts and Raiders both have extra picks, so you can't count them out. So I think, I, I mean, I think it's really interesting that because the Lions are at that three spot and there's like a half dozen teams in the top half of the draft who are very interested in, we're very possibly looking for a quarterback upgrade. Yeah, a lot of shuffling potential. There's going to be trade-ups. There's, there's for sure going to be trade-ups. There's trade-ups every single year in terms of going up and getting your quarterback. So yeah, expect that this season for sure. Beautiful. All right, next up, running backs. DK, blow our minds. The running back position is going to be fun as hell to watch this week. Uh, the testing for those guys is going to be really, really Interesting because a lot of the big name, like the top five guys at the position, are all really, really athletic. So the top of the list for people to watch this week for me, J.K. Dobbins of Ohio State. He is my running back number one going into the combine. Very, very, very close with him and Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. Dobbins going back to 2016. uh, You know, so the Nike opening is called the opening is sort of where they do the test, the spark test for all these incoming college kids. Wait, please explain the word spark. Spark. So speed, power. Agility. Agility. What is it? Reaction and quickness? Right. Yes. So anyways, it's uh, it's essentially just you know measuring the overall athleticism of players coming into the college game. Nike developed it. It's been something that a lot of coaches look at in recruiting. You know, you just want to have the best athletes on your team. So they, they kind of made this like composite score that shows how athletic you are anyway so Dobbins um was one of the top guys at the Nike opening in 2016 as a senior in high school he ran a 4.4540, jumped 43 inches in the vertical so he was quite a bit smaller you know as a high school senior than he is now I think he probably was 199 I think I saw so he's you know a good 10 or 15 pounds heavier now so he's not going to run a 4.55 probably um but you know, if he runs in that four five range, I think that's a good win for him. Then obviously the the explosion, if he has a big vertical again, that's something that teams really look at. And you can see that in his game. Like to me, I think he's a very explosive runner. So I'm going to be re- watching him really, really closely. Um, Jonathan Taylor, I think is probably the most exciting running back to watch at the combine. Um, he ran, according to Bruce Feldman's freaks list, which is a, a must read. It's at the athletic. It's a must read every year. Basically he, dives deep and finds the most athletic guys in college football. According to Feldman's freaks list, uh, Taylor ran a four, three 40 in the off season. Vertical jumped 37 and a half inches. He's like 220 pounds doing this. So 
Um, I cannot wait. DK, to let see me stop you right does. there. I have a question about the just like the vertical and the forty in general. Do you think mm-hmm. now, as we get smarter and more analytical, does the forty and the vertical matter more or less than it ever has before? Like, let, let's say Jonathan Taylor runs a four two. Does he now jump above J.K. Dobbins and is going to get drafted ahead of him? Oh, yeah. Like, does that? I would say well, so. Yeah. So My one question tenth is if of a runs- second can really affect your draft that much. I think it would. It, the hype would be out of control for him. Yeah, and he would end up being the first running back draft. I don't know if it'd be like the most important thing for me, but it does tell you. It, it's instructive in terms of like what kind of player. The forty has mattered just as much now as it ever has. Is what you're saying? I would say the forty. So the forty isn't really what it sh- what it, you should look at. I think it does matter for some teams though. But really, what you should look at is weight adjusted. So the speed score of a running back, so weight adjusted speeds, because a guy doing it at 220 pounds is it's just inherently so different. much more. I believe impressive. Yeah, I also believe nobody knows why it's 40 yards. There's no discernible football situation where any player has to run 40 yards in a straight line. And I also, do you know the answer? I have no idea why they don't run in shoulder pads. I don't have a fathom. <laughs> I, have a, I don't have a shadow yeah. of an idea why they would run without pads. Uh, all of that has always fascinated me, but. I really do find the combine fascinating. DK, how many yeah. drills does do running backs go through? Yeah, they do the 40, the vert, three cone, the short shuttle. They do a long shuttle, which no one really pays attention to. They do the um, bench press, vertical jump. Could be missing Why one does or no two one pay attention to the long shuttle? What did the long shuttle do against you? The long shuttle is just not very football relevant because guys are, it's just more important what guys can do in the short areas, which is why the 40 isn't really that important either. I mean, it's basically, you want to look at their explosiveness in the short area because that's how they're breaking tackles and things like that. Yeah, I would so, say the shuttle, the the short shuttle would be the yeah. most indicative of how short well shuttles. Can... Short shuttle is important for, you know, a lot of position, like skill positions, three cone. It's basically how you can turn and how you can move, how quickly you can mm-hmm. change directions, which is as obviously applicable to the you know the football field so okay. um anyway so back what, to taylor what i was gonna say so we got jonathan taylor so we're talking about jk dobbins of ohio state and got jonathan taylor from wisconsin they both yeah. tied they had the exact same rushing yards per game right they had 143 yards per game this year which is tied for third most in college football but taylor was the far more decorated player he has the sixth most rushing yards in the history of college football he had yeah taylor was amazing he's yeah. one of two players with back-to-back 2000 yard rushing seasons First team All American in 2018 and 2019, so he's a stud. Has yeah. a lot of college football records and is on like the top of a lot of leaderboards. But are either of these guys? Because these are your top two players, right? Dobbins and Taylor. So those are my top two running. Are backs, either yeah. of these guys like top ten picks to you? Like where do you? Because there's been years like Zeke Elliott was top five in uh, 2016. Saquon went to a few years, like a couple of years ago. Like where are these guys in terms of that? If these are your top two, but like are they? Top 25 overall players, top 10 overall players, where do you have them? I'm a strong believer in don't take a running back in the first round in general. But I would say the NFL hasn't completely bought into that, obviously. I think these guys are probably mid to late round first first round picks. And they could even fall into the second round. I mean, we've seen so many teams kind of regret not necessarily taking running backs in the first round, but giving them second contracts. And so I don't know if that is going to affect anything with this, this group, but... My guess would be Dobbins, Taylor, and DeAndre Swift, who is a lot of people's RB1 for this season. Those guys, if if they go in the first round, it would be late first round, like mid to late first round. Who are some of the other guys here that you're looking forward to seeing this week? So Florida State's Cam Akers is really another intriguing guy. He basically had to run behind a terrible offensive line, so he hasn't gotten the same kind of buzz as a lot of um, these other players. But 
going back to you know the Nike opening his high school numbers, he was re- he's really really athletic. He was a five star recruit. Um, he ran a four 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 in the forty, had a vertical of 46, 40.6 inches. So he's again very explosive athlete, very very fast. I think he's going to generate a lot of buzz this this week, and people are going to start to kind of take notice. I don't know if you guys remember last year, Miles Sanders from Penn State took a huge, huge jump after the combine because basically people were like, holy crap, this guy's really, really athletic. I mean, you know, tape grinders knew about him already, but he sort of started to be on the national map after the combine. And I think he rose up a lot of boards after that. So I could see Cam Akers having sort of a similar rise, you know, after the combine. I just one one question on when you say like rising up boards, when you use that term, I feel like just to be clear, that term kind of like generally is about people who projecting these things like you do and people who are yeah. projecting these things are aligning with the NFL reality. It's not so much that teams are changing their draft boards, but that public perception is catching up with reality. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think generally that's true. I mean, teams might alter their board a little bit, but yeah, generally when I'm saying rising up boards, it's like sort of the consensus thought of where these players are going to go in the draft, if that makes any sense. Okay. Like mock drafts, like the consensus on guys. I so guess teams aren't like, going to see any of these 40s and like move someone up 30 spots. That's probably not. Okay. No, probably not. Although at the same time, buzz, you know, a lot of buzz on a player and, you know, can drive demand for a player and make teams reach on those players. So I think it's, there's a little bit of both. But like, if you have a guy with a ton of ton of buzz, like teams are going to end up reaching for that guy a little bit because they think that he's going to go a little earlier than than expected. So okay, cool. What other what other running backs you got? You're looking at this week? So Clyde Edwards-Helaire of LSU, another guy going back to high school, four four seven in the 40, 37 inch vert. So he's another very very athletic guy. I think people are going to be excited about coming out of the draft. Uh, AJ Dillon of Boston College is a guy that I can't wait to watch this week. He's six foot two fifty. He had, according to Feldman, a 40-inch vertical and ran an electric electronic time 4-4. So that's six foot 250 running a 4-4. So I cannot wait to see kind of how he does. He's another guy that could rise up, uh, quote, draft boards. You know, he could, he could see his stock soar after the combine just because he's such a big guy that can run so fast and that kind of tends For to For reference, drive. Derrick Henry's 6'3", 247. Yeah. So I'm not, he's, not, he's not a Derrick Henry talent, but... He's a big guy who can run really fast, and teams, you know, generally are looking for that kind of guy. So, past that, there's a few sleepers I wanted to mention at the running back position. And these these guys are all potential four, 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 three guys. Salvin Ahmed from Washington, Raymond Calais, Louisiana, Darius Jet Anderson of TCU, Levante Bellamy, Western Michigan, and Darrington Evans of Appalachian State. All those guys, all these running backs, could potentially run sub four four forties this week and again see kind of like their national stock rise a little bit. And then the guy that I want to bring up, Shewo Alanalua of TCU, another guy who's just huge and runs really fast. He's 238 pounds. Um and again according to Feldman, he run a four four seven vertical jumps 40 inches. He's a former four star recruit who had offers from like LSU, Texas AM, Oklahoma. Ultimately went to TCU, not really on a lot of people's radars at the moment, but he could rise again too, just because he's a big guy that can run really fast. Do you guys think if you had to try, you could get closer to jumping a four four seven or to running a four four seven or to jumping a forty inch vertical? Uh, 
a forty. I don't think you can actually just run a four four seven if you want to. I'm saying if you had to tr- like if you had to work your hardest, do you think you could get closer to the forty inch vert or the four four seven forty? I don't. Probably the vert, I think right? The, yeah, the leaping, you can work on that. Yeah. I don't know if you can just like- You could get those jump shoes. Yeah. Those those jump, do you remember the jump shoes from like the 90s? I think Tim Layden or one of the shoes? Sports Illustrated uh, <laughs> writers like did a whole piece. Like he just decided he wanted to dunk in his 40s and spent a year doing it. Plyometrics. Yeah. 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 It's hard to teach quick twitch explosiveness that you need to run a 4-4. So I, I would probably say- the Well, you've got a child now. You've got to teach that from the womb, man. You got to start getting Calvin on those reps. Uh, just yeah. real quick on the running backs to button that up. Teams that probably are looking for running backs. The Falcons are probably going to have to cut Devontae Freeman to deal with their cap space because they haven't handled uh, stuff awesomely. So Devontae Freeman <laughs> and the Falcons might be looking for a placement. Texans, Lamar Miller's deal is expired. Carlos's Hyde's deal is expired. So, I mean, they just got Duke Johnson, your boy, Buddy Howell, and Karen Higdon. So they're probably looking for another guy. And then also Miami. They've got... <laughs> Kalen Balaj, Miles Gaskin, Patrick Laird, Samaje Piran, and Delance Turner are the running backs they've got under contract. 401 carries combined between those five men. You, you could tell me that was like the cast of The Good Place. I wouldn't know. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I think the Dolphins need a running back. So t- any of those guys would be welcome at any of those places. Receivers. DK, quick overview on this receiver draft. The best, the deepest class in how long? Well, some people think it might be the best slash deepest class ever, but it definitely rivals the 2014 class going back to, um, you know, like the Hopkins class. And so the Hopkins class, that's what you call the 2014 draft. It's got Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon Cooks, Kelvin Benjamin. (laughs) Um, Mm. And then, yeah, some other guys that are still in the league. And Devontae Adams went in the second round. And Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, it's uh, it's pretty nuts. John Brown. It's a pretty, it's a pretty insane list. Not to mention the other crazy things from the 2014 draft, like you know Greg Robinson, uh, who's been in the news <laughs> this week. Hunt, can you get? Can, do you know what 150 pounds of marijuana looks like? I can't even visualize 150 pounds of marijuana. <laughs> it's like 30 pounds less than me, but of weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you barely fit in. You barely fit in a car too, so it's fine. Okay. Anyway, so that's so the deepest receiver class since at least the year that like 11 current first or second receivers went in one year. DK, who's the big guy that we're going to be watching this weekend? All right, so there's a few. Um, The big name, I think, that will dominate combine coverage, though, is Henry Ruggs from Alabama. Because he is just super fast. Henry Ruggs III. Uh, I recently heard Lance Zierling from NFL.com mention that he expects Ruggs to run in like 4-7 range in the 40. So (laughs) he has a solid chance to beat... John Ross is 4-2-2, which is the all-time combine record. So we'll see. I think his goal, obviously, just to be in the four, under four threes. If he runs a 4-3, that's still good. Like, he's still going to be one of the fastest guys, you know, coming into the NFL. But Yeah, and you compared um, him to, on the draft guide, to a mini Martavis Bryant or a T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, and so he's faster than those two guys, I think. But um, just like his the style of play, I mm-hmm. think. He, he reminds me of Martavis Bryant, just his ability to, you know, kind of run after the catch. He's He's more than just like a like a deep down the sideline threat. He has like run after the catch ability and on, things like on, that. On the so, field, to be clear. On the field, Martavis Bryant. <laughs> All right. And so, and then his teammate, Jerry Judy of Alabama, also is an interesting guy to watch this week. He's one of the most like, like electric after the catch guys, really, really fast feet, you know, great agility in the, in the short area and all that. I think it's going to be interesting to see how fast he runs in the 40 though, because, you know, some people might expect him to run in the four threes or whatever. I saw a tweet from uh, Senior Bowl director Jim Nagy that says they hand-timed Judy in the 4.5s last fall. 
or last spring, I guess. And so I don't know how accurate that is. Obviously, there's a lot of time in between that, and, and they can train to improve that and everything. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Judy, whether he runs like a really, really fast time or if it's sort of a mid-range thing that that maybe makes people fall off of him a little bit. I think the Judy narrative is going to be an interesting one to watch this week. And then um, going past that, there's some really, really intriguing speedsters in this class. Jalen Rager of TCU, another guy that has a chance to run in the low 4.3s, maybe lower, maybe 4.2s. He's super, super explosive. Like he, His lower body, he's just built. He's like, you know, he, he weighed in at over 200 pounds. He can squat. 620 pounds for, uh, per that Feldman's Freaks list, which is like Saquon Barkley territory. Like the dude is just ripped. Um, won the 2017 Texas State title on the long jump, set the nation's best mark that uh, in that season with 26 feet. So he's just super, super explosive lower body. I saw this on Twitter. This this uh, website, Recruiting Analytics, clocked him at 22 miles an hour on a 93-yard touchdown he scored this year, which would have been faster than anyone ran top speed in the NFL, according to the next-gen stats tracking in 2019. So the dude's got wheels. Um, I think he's maybe one of the guys that will rise up the most this week if he tests really well. I think he's going to kind of get into that, you know, solidify his first round, I think, status after this week just because he's so, so fast and explosive. Sounds like you're a little bullish on Rager. Sounds like you like him. Yeah, I like him a lot. You know, his season was... He had a down season, TCU. They had a lot of quarterback issues, like offensive issues overall. They switched their quarterback a few times. He just didn't have, you know, eye-popping numbers. His target share, market share, and everything was still pretty strong, but their offense was just really bad. So he's just, you know, he kind of fell off people's radars a little bit, but I think he's going he's gonna to rise up this week a lot. You mentioned the 40-yard dash isn't super important for running backs. Can you explain how important the 40 is for receivers? Well, I mean, it obviously helps to have speed. It's not, it's not the most important, and it's not super indicative of how good you're going to be. In fact, I think a lot of uh, the top receivers in the NFL right now are four or five guys. Um, but at the same time, if you look around the NFL, whether it's Tyreek Hill, DJ Chark, all these guys that are just really, really, really fast change the way that defenses have to play. And so even if your like, stats aren't super elite, like in the, in the DJ Chark area, like he changes the way that defensive ha- defenses have to play. We, like when the Texans are with or without Will Fuller, when the Eagles exactly. are with or yeah, without exactly. Deshaun Jackson or Torrey Smith, those like it's just it's very noticeable the impact on the offense. Or with the Chiefs when yeah. they didn't have Tyree Kill or Michael Hardman. Yeah, so I think a lot of offenses are realizing they need guys that can stretch the field, that can tilt the field. You know, tilt defenses in these guys' direction. They always have to kind of pay attention to where they are. So. I think their value is their value is sort of hidden a little bit, but these guys are very important. Yeah, it's like a three-point shooter in a basketball game, even if he can't do anything else. The fact that if you pass it to him and he can hit a three when he's open just forces the defense to play differently. Yeah. What's that called in basketball? Gravity? What? Gravity, isn't that called? Like in basketball, the idea that shooters pull, have gra- they have a gravity. Oh, gravitational pull? I don't know. Is that a thing people say? Well, it is now. So <laughs> Coined <laughs> yeah, by Danny Fast Hyman. receivers have got... <laughs> I invented the theory of gravity. That is my idea. Now, no one can steal it because you didn't know. Okay. That will wow. erase the last 10. No, people have definitely thought I am 10 millionth person to say that. I'm just saying fast receivers have a gravity and they pull people. Sure, absolutely. So, sticking I mean, I think with it's fast the same dudes, idea of it's, it, it is what field tilting is in football. I think it's the exact idea that you're referencing. Beautiful. All right. So, st- who are other fast dudes who have gravity? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna list off a few more guys here. KJ Hamler of Penn State, super, super speedster. He's very tiny. 
and runs mostly out of the slot, but he's another guy that could break into the four threes. Uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr., Colorado. I don't know if he's going to test this week or not because he was recently actually diagnosed with groin inflammation or pelvic bone inflammation or something like that. So it's unclear exactly what he's going to do, but he's 220 pounds plus. Really, really good athlete. In fact, I saw Daniel Jeremiah said he was one of the best athletes in this draft class, period. So he's another guy to watch if he tests. Um, Brandon Ayuk of Arizona State is one of my favorite guys in this class. Super electric feet. Very, very explosive. Reminds me a little bit of DJ Moore body type wise, like kind of a muscular build, but very, very good after the after the catch. I think he could run in the four fours. And then um, Donovan uh, Donovan Peoples Jones from Michigan, who's not super buzzy right now, but I think he's going to blow up the combine and, and start to gain some traction. Uh, he just didn't have great like stats or tape, really, <laughs> to be honest, at Michigan. But I think a lot of people think he's a better player than his production sort of indicated at, at Michigan. Michigan fans feel that. Yeah. Um, he won, going back to 2015, he won the Nike opening as a junior, which is really pretty rare. An underclassman will dominate that that um, event. He jumped 42 inches, 4'4", 240. He's like six foot two, 200 plus pounds. So he's really, really good athlete. Former five-star recruit guy that I think could sort of rise up boards this week. And then one more to keep in mind, my sleeper, it's not really a sleeper because he did lead the nation in catches this season with 106, but Devin DuVernay of Texas, um, going back to high school, he ran a 4-3-2 at the Nike opening, which was tied with Miko Hardman at that event. So FYI, this guy is super fast. He's a former high school state champion sprinter, um, 10.27 in the 100 meters, which is really ridiculously good. And again, he was, a number, he was another like five-star top five recruit. So kind of teams like to look at those guys. Teams keep an eye on former five-star guys that kind of don't, you know, pan out in, in college because they still think they can like, you know, get the most out of that, that athleticism and all that. Also, he's Kyler Murray's cousin. Ooh. Oh, wow. Look at that. And for clarification, just the Michael Hardman who he tied with is in the 99th percentile of the 40-yard dash with 4 3 3 Whereas I yeah. am in the 18th percentile, I would guess. That is the <laughs> that, nicest. That is the nicest thing you've ever said about yourself. Obviously 18th? not true. No, you're not in the yeah. 18th. You don't think so? In the world? I would say single digits. No, Michael Harbin's 99th among wide receivers. Yeah. That means he's in the top one percent. Among wide receivers. Yeah, you don't think I You think if you ran among college football wide receivers, no, no, no. you'd beat a fifth of them? Oh no, saying in the world. Yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> I'm saying among receivers like you're at talking the about NFL combine, Michael yes. Hardman's in the 1%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's really fast. I was making a joke. I'm slow. I'm at the 18th in the world. I thought you were <laughs> saying you would beat a fifth of NFL wide receivers. No. And I was like, is this like a long bit? <laughs> Maybe Hunter Renfro. Case. Come at me, Hunter. Let's race. <laughs> oh, that's good, actually. Dude, yeah. I would love to get you to race Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I, I wonder if he would do it. I would Hunter train. Renfro, if you're listening, come race Craig and burn him. Give me a month. You can have to. Oh my god. Anyway, keep DK, anyone else? Any other receivers you want to highlight? Uh one more. Tyree Cleveland of Florida. He ran a four three two, which is the same as Devin Duvernay and Nicole Hardman that event. So he's another guy. He was a late call up at the senior bowl, actually, and he made a couple plays there. So he's he's like definitely a later round guy, but I think you know he's very, very athletic. He could kind of see his stock rise a little bit by running really fast this week. All right. A few teams where these guys could go. I mean, just teams that kind of need receivers. There's the Jets who might lose Robbie Anderson in free agency and just my God, that, you know, Quincy Nunwa and Jameson yeah. Crowder are underrated, but they're not speed guys. They could use rugs or, I mean, any of the fast guys you just listed, like the Jets could really use some speed on that offense. The Bills, who they have John Brown, 
But after the, I mean, your boy, Cole Beasley. Mm-hmm. And they've got like a lot of like spare parts. The Bills are one of those teams that have like a good number one, but like a few number threes mm-hmm. could really use a number two. Um, also, the Raiders need a receiver. Yeah, the Raiders really need. Mm-hmm. I think the Raiders make a lot of sense for, I mean, any of these guys. Mm-hmm. Especially I Packers. Think. Did you say Packers? I did not say the Packers. Packers need some speed, man. The Packers are the ultimate example of they have one number one and five number four receivers. Yeah. With yeah. nothing They in need between. speed in that offense, like, badly. I mean, obviously, Aaron Jones is fast, but that's about it. All right. Is this a bad tight end draft or what, DK? What's the deal with the yeah, tight ends? The tight, end, the tight end draft is definitely... I think underwhelming. It's definitely not top heavy. There's probably no top fifty picks in this group. But that said, there's some interesting guys. I think, you know, there's no real consensus on who the top guys are. But Hunter Bryan of Washington is one of them. He's sort of a a move tight end. He's he's on the shorter side. He almost looks like a receiver, but he measured in at 248 pounds this week. So that's good. I think he's you know he's got good size. He's got good movement skills. Um, he produced at an early age for Washington as a freshman. So there's all there's a lot of good like indicators that he could be a good pro. He's got a lot of injury history that is a little bit concerning, but overall he's like an interesting move tight end type guy. I'm looking forward to seeing what he runs. So if he's like in the four fives, that'll be really, really good for him. I'm a little skeptical to get that, but we'll see. And then Cole Kmet. I'm not actually sure if it's just Met or Kmet of Notre Dame. We'll forgive you. We can forgive you for that one. Uh, he's kind of a gangly dude. Like he's six foot six, two sixty two. You know, he's not like explosive out of the blocks or anything like that. But he has really surprisingly good build up speed down the field. That was what I noticed when I was watching his tape. Is just, you know, he he kind of takes a minute to get going, but he can really get behind a defense. Per Dane Brugler of the Athletic, he could crack the four sixes, which is really really good for six six two sixty two. Um, so that's a guy to watch. I think he's, you know, he's sort of a wide tight end. He's like the type of old school guy who can line up in line, block, and also get out and route. So I think a lot of teams might be high on him, and he could be the he could end up being the first tight end coming off the board. Any sleepers? So yeah, Chase Claypool, who is Komet's teammate at Notre Dame. Two Notre Dame tight ends. It's the new Iowa. Here's here's the rub, Danny. This guy uh, Claypool was actually a receiver in college. Broke out big time this season. Sixty six catches, one thousand three hundred. Uh, 1,037 yards and 13 touchdowns. Um, he looked really good at the Senior Bowl, and he, so he was sort of like a tweener. He was playing at 229, I believe, at the Senior Bowl, and he was doing like pretty impressive things as a route runner. You know, creating separation. He's very physical on his routes. Kind of understands leverages and things like that. I was I was pretty impressed with him. He was getting some pretty good buzz coming out of the Senior Bowl, and then he gained nine pounds since the Senior Bowl. So what he kind came of nine into pounds? Combine. What kind of nine pounds? Well, I haven't, I didn't see him personally. Like, I didn't like, you know, measure his six pack or anything like that, but he measured in at 238. Seems like he's making the switch to tight end. I don't see any other reason why you would gain nine pounds from the senior bowl to the combine unless it's just a catastrophic failure by your part. So, yeah. Malamars are back. Malamars are back. It's like a freshman 15. Yeah. In between the senior bowl (laughs) and the combine, you just go nuts. It's a lot of ways to gain nine pounds. Sure, sir. Perhaps, perhaps. This guy doesn't seem. That way. He look, he's pretty <laughs> ripped looking to me. Um, anyways, the idea and sort of like the buzz right now is that he's make, he's going to make the switch to tight end. You wouldn't do that unless you had that in mind because the combine's all about explosion, you know, speed, and a lot of guys actually lose weight for the combine. But Can I make a guess? What's that? Did this guy play basketball? He did. In fact, he... <laughs> wow. Every tight end, every tight end's got to play basketball. Not only did he play basketball, he he averaged 45 points a game in high school. 
What? He's like a stud basketball what do you mean, player. He also 45 did... points a game. There Who are, are, we, wait, that... are we talking about Chase Claypool? Yeah. 45 points a game? What do you mean 45? <laughs> are you serious? Okay, I got to look this guy up. Why do you play look football? <laughs> He's in the wrong sport. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> Maybe he played it like a little, little like a little uh, high school or something. I'm not sure. All right, Craig, you look up those things. What anything? What else did he do? Anything interesting? Uh, he he also did BMX. He has experience in karate and gymnastics. BMX. I, wow, the first. So I saw this all at a great article at thedraftnetwork.com. So you know, check that out. But um, I love the background stuff. I and I actually do think the basket. It's like a total cliche at this point that all good tight ends played basketball. But I do think it is important in terms of the way that these guys move and and the way that they can use their bodies to create leverage and things like that. Like it does, it is applicable to football. So, anyways. I don't know if his ability to score 45 points per game matters as a tight end, but his ability to rebound and things like that do. 45 is a lot of points. Yeah, I see. I, I found one highlight video here where he put up 51 in a game. Wow. Okay, DK, we just went through all this whole list. If you have to plant your flag on one of these guys, who are you, pl- who are you flag planting? Who are you pinning to your profile? That's really tough. Man, that's a good question. I would say... You like Rager, don't you? I really like Rager, although I don't know if I would stake my reputation on on a guy, on that guy. I would. I mean, I, I, I think Jonathan Taylor is pretty much as can't miss as you can get. Nice. I mean, he was absolutely dominant at Wisconsin. And I would say the same about J.K. Dobbins, obviously, since he's rated slightly above him. But I think Taylor is like the highest floor guy in this group. Well, there we have it. Yeah. Look at that. There's like no way he's not going to be a good pro, I think, knock on wood. Okay, so... <laughs> so he's the most likely to be on a fantasy team, you think, out of this group of guys? Yeah, he's, he's you know, obviously there's a lot of landing spots can be very important, but everything I've seen is he's he's the number one pick in, in rookie drafts for Dynasty Leagues. He's going to be probably a high pick in redraft leagues just because he's, you know, just big, fast, strong, history of production, Everything, and he's going to have high draft capital, so I think he's going to play early. Okay, so podcast to-do list. We're going to BMX and play basketball, Chase Claypool, mm-hmm. and we're going to have Hunter Renfro race Craig <laughs> in the next month or two. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we got going on. That's what the offseason brings. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, DK. Excited for the combat, yeah. man. This will be fun. Thank you, Craig. And we'll be back next week to review what we saw at the combine. Yeah. And review Chase Claypool's BMX career. Exactly. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you to everyone for listening. 